Shut up and sit down. got my eyes dilated today because I got an eye exam and um, my dilation is gone but I still can't see worse shit. Anyways, it's just I need a new prescription and I have to wait a week to get new glasses and I hate waiting. I hate waiting. It just drives me nuts. Um, and I don't like that one place that I have in the area that will do like glasses while you wait. It just never seems to be the same kind of quality. It could just be me. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm big on instant gratification, which in my current circumstances, being on a diet, um, instant gratification is in short, short supply, just to be frank. Uh, I, it, it also, also, Nutrisystem cookies suck. I got some Nutrisystem chocolate chip cookies. They suck ass. But they're all I got. So, of course, I ate them because I needed chocolate. Just saying. Although there are Nutrisystem replacement bars, which I don't, I'm I'm not completely on Nutrisystem because um, I like real food, um, and so I just had some like some I, I got some snacks and I got a meal replacement bar in case I had to run out, you know. Anyways, um, they have the chocolate peanut butter bar that's not bad, not bad at all. Anyways, we're um, not talking about dieting because um, that would be a ridiculous topic from my show because um, I hate it and I would spend two hours bitching about dieting, um, which I think we can all agree would be boring. Um, Jillian and I earlier in the week were talking about fundamental principles in in canon and how if you um, take um elements out of canon when when you're writing fan fiction you have to account for it because if you don't it can create problems in your narrative and you might not even notice and so um my shit's all fucked over here um we're going to talk about that tonight oh shit um Hold on a minute. I must have did the um I did the <laughs> I did the minutes wrong. Hold on. That should fix it. Even if it doesn't say it, it should be fixed. <laughs> I have my moments. Um, but it should be fixed. Uh, thanks for noticing that cuz it would have cut me off. I'd have been like, "What?" <laughs> um Okay. Fuck, now I'm all off. Okay, okay, okay. I I fell off the tread. <laughs> I when my brain reboots, sometimes there's no recovery. <laughs> it's gone. 
it's gone. But we were talking about it earlier in the week about how if you change something fundamental in um, in a in a canon, um, that it creates uh, serious consequences and ramifications for the world building. So mm-hmm. you have to be careful with that. Very careful. <laughs> One of um, an example. Um, that I would um, use in say Stargate Atlantis or not SG one in SG one. If Charlie O'Neill isn't killed, that is a fundamental change to canon because mm-hmm. Jack O'Neill doesn't go to Abydos. Yeah, why would he? He wouldn't even be on the radar for it. So who would go and how would that shape the original mission? And how would that shape the Air Force's response to Apophis coming through the gate a year later? Because in SG-1 canon... The reason that the Air Force didn't bomb the shit out of Abydos in response to that is because Jack contacted Daniel and knew how to get a response that would let him know that everything was okay on that end of the gate. Well, and the reason why Abydos didn't get blown up completely was because Jack was there to change his mind about that. Yeah. I mean, Apophis still could have come through the gate on Earth, but conceivably, depending upon how you spend that, Daniel could be dead. Or Daniel could have gotten them home and whoever stayed behind blew everything up. I mean, I think play out really differently um, depending upon who you send in place of Jack and what their mindset is. I mean, Jack had a lot of compassion towards, towards the people of Abydos that you might not have seen in another military leader. He was still willing to blow them up, but he was compassionate at points that changed the course of things. It, yeah, it was so when you make a fundamental change like that, that consequence has to ripple through your world building and through your character development and through your plot. Um, like, say, for instance, what if the first time they went through the gate, they didn't even go to Abydos? Well, if it's conceivable that if Daniel was never brought on board, that that could have gone that way. Because um, what was it's, it's SG-1 canon that Carter was pretty close to figuring things out in terms of the dialing computer um, before Daniel uh, decoded the cartouche. So Daniel, if Daniel was never on board, they would not necessarily have decoded the address for Abydos. Well, the thing is, is from SG-1 Canyon, we know that they've dialed the gate before successfully to a planet that was not Abydos. Right. And and Carter was working on the problem the whole time. And there's just no doubt in my mind that she would have eventually figured it out. Um, I think that there's a perception um, 
that Daniel that the show doesn't happen without Daniel, but I don't think that that's necessarily true. Well, cause, um, yeah, because it Daniel boils on the mathematics with the dialing computer. It would have eventually right. hit. She would have eventually gotten what the symbol for Earth was. She would have eventually figured it out. Um, it, Daniel was in the critical path for things happening the way they happened because nobody else was going to figure out the, con- the the constellations and that kind of thing. But you know, mathematically, Carter would have eventually hit on viable addresses, and she would have eventually noticed that the seventh symbol in all of them was the same. She would have eventually figured that shit out. And we'd have an entirely different universe and entirely different circumstances. Um, People who lived might not have. People who died might have survived. Um, So making a change like that is huge and you have mm-hmm. to account for it. You don't okay. I'm gonna couch this with this. You don't have to do anything. But if you want to story, if you want to improve your craft and yourself as a writer, which is what I go out of the gate every time I sit down with a project, it is my goal to be better than I was yesterday. That is how I approach my craft. It's how I've always approached my craft. So that's how I approach these shows. Um, you don't got to do shit, but this is what, this is just my mindset. Um, going into any project or situation, I'm, I'm striving to learn and grow and be better than I was yesterday. Uh, so keeping track of, of the fundamental changes you make to your world building prevents you from creating plot holes you could drive a Mack truck through. Yeah. I would say the funny thing is I would say a lot of, a lot of unintentional plot holes come from, um, Disregarding canon and not accounting for it. I, we, we, we've, made, we've made the comment of um, author hand wave of destiny kind of thing. And there's some things, there's some things you can wave away. You kind of go, oh, well, that you know, didn't happen or whatever. Or, I mean, it is, but the thing is you need to know what you're waving away. <laughs> I don't think you have to be a canon expert, but if you want to say dead air didn't happen – you can wave that away by maybe saying Tony got a cold or he was on assignment in Italy or, you know, just you could say that he was sent he was sent afloat again for a special assignment. Give some reason why it just didn't happen because that case still happened. That guy still went to that radio, that radio station and shot that dude. So that case still happened. Um, but give a reason why um, give a reason why it didn't occur. It's a really simple thing to do. Um, I actually post somebody had asked me after the last podcast where we talked about canon, and do you have to perfect you know no canon really well or perfect your story kind of thing? Somebody had asked me follow up question because I'd made a comment about the extent to which you have to deal with canon depends upon the extent to which you're using canon. And I apparently wasn't very clear about that. But um, 
and I put up a big old long rambly thing on the workshop explaining my comment. But the thing is, is that there are some events that are entrenched in canon. Um, and you, you pull that thread and the whole sweater unravels. And you need to not pull on that thread if you want to leverage canon in some fashion. Um, and maybe it's just a season unravels or whatever, but there are like it's like it's like they become cornerstones of canon. And when you rattle one, you rattle you rattle the foundation of everything. So let's think about um, since we're doing Harry Potter, help me think about what canon um, foundational st- cornerstones are in um, Harry Potter. I know what some of them are in NCIS, so that's easy for me. Um, Well, um, the four founders of the school, you know, being who they were, what they were, and starting a school, that's really critical. Um, there are critical events that if you change them, if you if you alter the lore of, of Harry Potter, you start to, um, you can unravel the world building. Um, and Honestly, one of the things that I often do um, is unravel the fallacy of of the the secret keeper and how the Fidelis well, charm was utterly ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It made no sense. And the statute of secrecy. If you remove the statute of secrecy, um, you create a world where it is not safe to be magical. Because that was it is fundamentally that's like that's like one of the whole premises of Harry Potter was that the persecution of 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 magical people, um, muggles and magicals, didn't weren't weren't doing well together. Um, I don't. The thing is, there's some things I think you can unravel, but they have huge consequences. Like I think you can have somebody else deal with Grindelwald. That could happen. Um, but if you do that. You have a lot of ripple effect, a lot to deal with. Um, that's like epic amounts of ripples. Um, so you can do it, but you're going to have a lot of work to do to clean up after that. You pull that thread, you have just unraveled Dumbledore and the whole mythos around him. And when you do that, what does that do to Harry Potter canon? So that is a foundational event, I would say. Um, but if you put, but it's not that you can't pull the thread. It's just what are you going to knit when there's no sweater left? Because <laughs> you're going to have to do something. <laughs> you can't, you're going to have to make a scarf or something out of that those that thread because you you you've just unraveled one of the big foundational principles of what what the what the canon is based on. It is a big thing if you if you remove Dumbledore's social power. Um, does he still create the Order of the Phoenix? Do, does anybody does does Voldemort fear him? 
So yeah, it's not without unlikely. a fight. Not without a fight to define that fear. Because his fear is based on Dumbledore's defeat of Grindelwald. Yeah, that's the whole mythos around him. The Order of Merlin and all that stuff came from that event. Um, so there's some threads you have to be careful about pulling. Um, you can probably pull on almost any thread, really. But I think that, like, the Statue of Secrecy, that's a very difficult one to pull on without going back to, like, you know, practically when wizards were living in caves and restructuring how that world came out. Now, you could do it. You could, but then you're not writing, then you're not writing Harry Potter. You're writing sort of like a magical realism thing where, assuming they got over their shit and non-magicals and magicals began to work together and magic is pervasive in everyday life, you're kind of doing more of a magical realism thing where magic is known and part of the world and it's built into the technology um, that's a complete that's not Harry Potter anymore you know do, do, do the thing do the thing and go write your original novel with magical realism but you're not writing Harry Potter because once you once you pull that thread where magicals and muggles are separate uh, that's really different that's really different that is foundational to the universe. Now, you can that that's not to say, I mean, you can the easiest way to ignore canon is to put your characters elsewhere and only use the characters. That is, you know, you do a fusion, plunk your characters, take the cast of Harry Potter and put them on the Starship Enterprise. I don't care. You know, then you don't have to care at all about Dumbledore or Grindelwald or any of that stuff. Um, but that's a completely different hand wave of canon. If you're writing in in the universe of Harry Potter, there are some threads you got to be careful about pulling. There are some threads you have to be careful about pulling in terms of the way magic works. You know, can magic work? I'm trying to actually think of an example. I read something once where I was like, well, if magic worked that way, then like none of Harry Potter makes sense. <laughs> but I'm blanking on what that example even Here, was. Here, I have a canon example of how magic um, shouldn't work that way. Um, in canon, it says explicitly that you cannot use muggle electronics in Hogwarts because of all the magic. If that were true, London would be a disaster area. Because <laughs> London houses the biggest magical district in magical Britain. It is warded. It's got charms all over it. It's full of magic. It's full of magical children several times a year. So if electronics can't work around magic, how the hell is Diagon Alley sitting in the middle of fucking London? Yeah. Now, you could reframe that if you really want to keep that piece. You know, you could challenge it and undo it. Or you could um, um, reframe it and be like the magical discharge, um, any, any electronic within like any kind of magical field, like a ward or a um, um, any place where there's a lot of magical residue or discharge overwhelms the batteries or electronic circuits or something. But it kind of does need some reframing. The one fix I saw was that 
a headmaster in the past was very anti-Muggle, so he built it into the wards. The electronics wouldn't work in Hogwarts. So everybody believed it wouldn't work anywhere. Well, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Cause, well, because wizards are that lazy and that arrogant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be massively destructive at King's Cross. It uh, vehicles around Diagon Alley would probably, especially ones with computers, would would have issues and problems. So the more advanced Muggle technology got, the more of a problem Diagon Alley would become. CCTV. How would that work? It's a problem. It is a problem. But Harry Potter is rife with its own plot holes. It's just you, and actually that's one of the things that fan fiction writers endeavor to do is to, you know, we think of ourselves as the road crew, you know, we think of ourselves as um, um, plot hole fillers. Um, except a lot of times we didn't create new plot holes. <laughs> because fundamentally there's a lot of stuff in Harry Potter that doesn't make sense. Um you pull. You, it, we've done. We've, we've done shows on this. You pull at the logic in, like anybody's actions, <laughs> any adults in the books, in, but in their behavior, it's sort of like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And you're you like, come on now. Start a, yeah, you, because you then you have to say, is it basically Dumbledore has charmed every adult in Britain? I yeah. did read one where Dumbledore had spells in his chocolate frog card. That encouraged loyalty and um, belief in him. Which is a nice plot point. Explain the loyalty, but it also explained how some people weren't. And they were severely anti Dumbledore because maybe they didn't like chocolate. <laughs> and they never had a chocolate frog. That would be funny. Some dude that's allergic to chocolate. <laughs> God, I hate Dumbledore. He's such an asshole. I don't know why everybody likes him so much. It's my headcanon that Moody is the way he is because of Dumbledore. Yeah. I, that Dumbledore fucked him up so much to spell work that Moody is so paranoid. <clears throat> That even if he noticed that Dumbledore was an asshole, no one would believe him. Because Dumbledore doesn't tolerate anybody else being competent around him. You you might have noticed. Yeah. 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 I have to say, every time I write Harry Potter, I have this this, this love-hate thing that happens where I think I've accounted for the plot holes, and then I haven't accounted for the plot holes. Um, 
and sometimes my trying to account for plot holes makes new plot holes and it it gets hard to you know and sometimes I just have to kind of accept that I'm not going to plug all the holes (laughs) it's really difficult it's really difficult to just kind of let go and go well it's got less plot holes than canon (laughs) (laughs) let's move on um but hopefully not um, introduce pl- plot holes you could drive a truck through. You know, I mean, that's never the goal, is to have your own, the foundation of your own world building be shakier than where you started. Um, you know, that's just, that's not the goal. I mean, I basically unraveled canon completely in my project for... Um, this month, I I can't I couldn't come up with rough trade. There you go. I, I, Boy, God. did you! Boy, your last line, I, yeah, I complete- your last posted part made my mouth drop open. I was like, what? <laughs> um, looked around from my office camera. Did you fucking read that? <laughs> yeah, I just I said yeah. I pulled the whole thing apart, but um, I still you know still. Canon has plot holes in it that are fucking with me, even though I'm like almost 80 years in the past. <laughs> nothing in the future is going to basically happen. Canon's still fucking with me. So um, it, it's 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 a trial. And also, even the way magic works in Canon, as we've talked a little bit about um, with the whole electronics thing and, you know, some kinds of magic, it's just there's not a lot of sense to be had you know there's not a lot of logic to be had so sometimes the best you can do is kind of have some kind of internal consistency um in your own story in that kind of case do the best you can um yeah and acknowledgement of ramifications um you can make huge you, you can you can pulled out the foundation of the world building of a canon fandom. But when you do that, you want to tell a really good story. You need to rebuild that foundation and accept the consequences of your actions. Yes. Because you can't you can't shatter the foundations of canon and then make canon happen. You can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. So um, you just, you've gone to a lot of work for very little point. I mean, if you're going to unravel all of the Harry Potter world building, like down to its foundation and re-net something different, and yet Voldemort rises and Harry is, he still goes after Harry at the same time and Harry still, his parents still die. I mean, what was the point? What was the point? If I wanted to read canon, I'd read the book. Just saying. And so, like in the in the NCIS fandom, one of the things I see the most often in terms of <clears throat> canon fuckery is timeline shenanigans. And 
there it's easier to do timeline shenanigans in some fandoms than it is in others. And the reason why I say that is because and this is this is in my this is my opinion about creating um a story that has con, con, logical consistency, okay? People will do whatever they want to do. But part of writing um fiction in general, whether it's fan fiction or not, is that your story has an internal consistency about it. Um, and if you can't maintain that with a, with your fan fiction, um, you're not going to be able to maintain internal consistency with with an original fiction or anything else. Um, but one of the things people like to do is they like to rearrange the order in which canon events occurred in NCIS. And there are some events that are kind of they're not very bound by time because they're not connected to other events. So sometimes it's there's a funny thing with you know, network TV shows is that they're not always aired in the order that, they, that the producers intended them to be aired, which is why, because some events are kind of like with Exiles, they call them the Monster of the Week episodes, where they are not part of any kind of canon arc. They aren't said they aren't establishing things that are set in stone in the timeline, like a change of directorship or anything like that. They're just kind of like a case file that happens, and they're kind of unbound by time. And you could jiggle those events around a little bit if you wanted to, but why would you want to? But, you know, you could. Um, but then there are events that are very fixed in canon. When you have a change in director, that's that's a very fixed event. You can't just, you know, hand wave away um, moving something that's a Vance event into a Shepherd event and expect that those things happen the same way. That does not work. Because those are two very different directors who handled the, the MCRT very differently. So um, there are events that become, in my mind, basically concrete. It's like those are fixed. And if you want to take that event out, you could rewrite a scenario where that event didn't occur, that Jenny didn't die. Uh, she wouldn't have been director for long because she was still dying. Um, Unless she you fixed could, that too. Right. You could fix that, too. You could have her illness caught earlier. You could say what the illness was, have it caught earlier, have her get treatment, whatever. But there, the, you, if, if you're, you can't just change an event that occurred before or after a foundational moment, a pivotal moment, something that becomes entrenched in the canon timeline, and not deal with the thing that's entrenched. So you take... Um, um, basically anything that happened after a change in directorship and move it before the change in directorship and then not make the change in directorship not happen, it just doesn't make sense because we have we have rigid fixed moments. Also, NCIS is five shows. There are five shows in that universe, six if you count JAG. And because those shows have appeared on each other and they set their timelines based upon relative to each other. When you jiggle the events in one, you've basically jiggled the timeline in all of them. Well, that's some crazy shenanigans you've just done there. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself through that? There are easier ways. And for those of you who, um, actually there are six, um, are wondering about the six shows, that would be NCIS, NCIS LA, NCIS New Orleans, Hawaii Five-O, MacGyver, and Scorpion. And, oh, then Jag. So it'd be six plus Jag and if you count Jag. Plus Jag, Jag that's is seven. Yeah, 
So you've got a lot of a lot of threads that you know, and their their timelines are very definitive because they do appear on each other. Um, so it's like one of it's my the pet new MacGyver, not the old MacGyver. <laughs> yes, yes, the new MacGyver. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, old MacGyver would be like pre-Jag. Um, yeah, new MacGyver of the hot Jack Dalton. <laughs> the very hot Jack Jack Dalton. Very hot, very hot. Yeah, what? um NCISLA crossover with Scorpion. Yeah, just Scorpion is just a whole bag of. Uh, you just don't want to mess with that bag of crazy folks. Um, but if I, I, in terms of the mothership, I am all for Steve and Tony getting together. I, I love the mothership. I'm all for it. But Steve was not on that task force until season eight of NCIS. That is the definitive timeline. So if you want Tony and Steve to meet before season eight of NCIS, you're going to have to do something that either Steve wasn't on the task force or it is season eight or later of NCIS. If Steve is on that task force, it is season eight or later. Because if you change, let's say you change it, let's say you hand wave away. So here we're not going to hand wave NCIS cannon, we're going to hand wave Hawaii Five O cannon. Steve is on the task force earlier. They create the task force earlier. Why? You, there's a foundational event in in NCI in Hawaii Five O cannon that that sparked the creation of the task force, and that was John McGarrett's death. If he doesn't die because you're making the task force start earlier, what was Steve's impetus for coming home? Why would he have stayed? And why would he have joined the task force working on the island with his father, who he was in so much conflict with? You have to answer all those questions if you're going to make the task force happen earlier. Why would you put yourself through that to have them meet a couple years earlier while Steve was on the task force, either make Steve a seal or make it happen in 2010 or later. That's just the, that's just the, that's the easy approach without having to re-engineer Canon. But if you want to re-engineer Canon, what you can do is have John McGarrett get shot in the line of duty before Chen is accused. Steve comes home. It's a permanent injury. Steve feels like he can't leave his dad. He gets roped into a task force by the governor. Takes on Chen before Chen gets in trouble. I'm just saying. Yeah, that works. No, Danny wouldn't be on the island, but wouldn't it be great if Tony got fed up with NCIS and he was on the island. He was on the island, <laughs> working at HPD. Yeah, <laughs> that would actually be really great. That would be really great. Um, I'm just if saying. If you want to re-engineer, if you want to re-engineer something, you you definitely can. But if you can't, just we know from canon, like Kira pulled that his father actually being hurt killed was the reason for Steve to come home. So you you would need something you know, maybe John's not dead. 
but hurt in the line of duty works. But it can't just be that somehow John got killed two two years earlier or three years earlier. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can. I will continue to say things like you can't do that. And, of course, you can. You can do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) We just won't read it. (laughs) We won't read it, and I'm not going to ever say I think it's a good idea because your story doesn't have any internal consistency. Oh, and I have people say, well, I can just say that season that season um, um, one of Hawaii Five O occurred two years earlier. Well, Hawaii Five O also crossed with NCIS LA. Are you going to have those events in NCIS LA happen two years earlier? If you do that, well, then NCIS LA has to occur two years earlier in its own canon, which means it has to occur two years earlier in NCIS canon. And do you? See the ripple effect here? <laughs> it's not a, it's not a tiny thing when you've got interconnected shows that appear on each other. And you start that's going I'm going to rearrange this event. Yeah, I'm going to re I'm going to rearrange this event. It's like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you do you." <laughs> Kona would still be professional surfer. Yeah. You'd have a different team. That's that's, that's what it boils down to. And it's um and if you don't have a different team, then then you've not paid the consequences for your actions. There's a price to be paid, folks. And you do have to pay it if you want to tell a good story. And that's the cat. That's the caveat. If you want to tell, that, did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yay. <laughs> um. If you want to tell a good story, you you need to pay the price for your choices and your decisions when you're changing fundamental elements of world building. Um, someone um, said that they 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 figured out they had a plot hole today in their RT. Well, if you go back through my podcast during um, during a little black dress. In the midst of my podcast, I recognized a giant plot hole. And I, you can hear it unfold on the podcast. I was like, ah! Because <laughs> I am usually very good about throwing out um, my idea mentally and then um, the, and seeing the consequences of my character's actions and um, situations play out in front of me. I'm I'm very good at it. It's 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 one of my um, better skills as a writer. And we and we all have things that we're just you know good at. I think for me it's probably dialogue and and my consequences ability are probably my major assets as a writer. And to have that fail on me was in such a public fashion. Was <laughs> pretty much it happened. Oh. Well, I mean, I remember that. I remember it was you were you're like, well, how could I have not thought about this? How did, how did this not occur to me? Um, and it was a world building thing. It was a world building plot hole. And I think yeah. sometimes those are the ones that sneak by you more so mm-hmm. than you know, um, not you and not you specifically, but you in general. They sneak by a lot of people. Is it's it's hard if you have a flaw in your world building that can really ripple out 
and be hard to spot. It's very insidious. Um, like I would say there's a lot of um, world-building plot holes in Harry Potter, uh, but, you know, those are almost those, those are harder to get around because when you start undoing them, they kind of fight each other, but you start undoing one, and it, it, it's, just, it's just this big old mess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you, you raised the issue of something we had all, you know, basically all. There have been a lot of people who have written Harry Potter Sentinel stories at that point. Um, yeah. And it's, we, and it's so it's a it's a world building plot hole of of Harry Potter and the Sentinel existing together. Uh, and this is what it is for those of you who don't want to troll through my um, podcast and find it, and it would be difficult to find. Um, in a world where Sentinels exist on the scale that I normally write them in Prides, is it even remotely feasible? that a latent sentinel like Harry would have been in my story would have lived in a cupboard and been abused by his muggle relatives. The answer is no. Because any guide within... Any guy or sentinel that passed him by, even if it just even just, just drove past the house, lived a saw him in the grocery store, saw him walking to school. It just is... Even now, just thinking about it, it's just infuriating. It's impossible. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. There are some crimes that would be dramatically reduced in a world where Sentinels and Guides existed, um, especially if they existed in sufficient numbers to not to, – to, if you've got – got, and, and the, the issue is how many of them are there. And even if you don't define specific numbers, if you've got cities where there are support centers for Sentinel and Guides, Sentinels and Guides, and you've got a governing body, and you, you've got sufficient numbers for them to be living in every city. Um, you may not be able to define a percentage easily, but if they need support centers in multiple cities in a given country, there's a lot of them, okay? A lot and, of them. Um, once you have, um, you know, logistical support requirements and governance required and they've got their own hierarchy and all that kind of stuff, once you have enough of them that that comes into play, you've got a lot. And one of the crimes, some of the crimes that you start seeing reduced are personal crimes of violence, crimes of people on people that usually occur behind closed doors, um, rape, child Domestic abuse, abuse. spousal abuse. Yeah, that kind of stuff all diminishes dramatically in a world where sentinels and guides exist, especially in urban cities where you, especially if you have a higher concentration of them working on police force, working um, um, in city government, whatever whatever position they fill, living in your neighborhoods and stuff, they're going to hear children being hurt and they're going to do something about it. So that is the ramifications in your world that. Um, your child abuse rates are going to be lower. Um, rape rates are going to be lower. Um, domestic violence is going to be much, much great, greatly reduced. Um, because when you have somebody in your vicinity that could kill you in a feral rage because you were beating your kid and get away with it, 
you might be less inclined to hit your kid. Might be, yeah. There is very little privacy in a world where there are many, 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 many sentinels. And and, and it's a huge plot hole. Um, And you can say that, yes, that Dumbledore used magic to hide Harry. But Dumbledore couldn't use magic to hide Harry everywhere. No, they just seen them. The empathic signature of that kid would have been torture to a guide, I would think. Yes. And even if magic muffled him in the house, it wouldn't have muffled him at school. Or the grocery store. Somebody would have known something. And so he wouldn't have been... Dumbledore might have arrogantly placed him I mean, that's a different kind of plot bunny, right? Like, Dumbledore might have arrogantly placed him there thinking magic would, you know, whatever spells he placed on Harry, whatever magic he put on the house. Dumbledore could have been arrogant enough to think that that would work against him. Especially, especially Sentinels and Guides are mostly a muggle thing. Um, he might have arrogantly thought that he could have ensured that they wouldn't know. But it would have backfired very quickly, and Harry wouldn't have grown up it- there. It should have background. It should have backfired very quickly. It's it's infuriating because I've actually written two stories, one where Harry is a guide and one where Harry is a sentinel, um, and um, this gaping plot hole exists in them both. And it, it's just uh. the thing is, I'm actually really proud of the work I did in ten years after the war, um, but still, in duality, I think duality's themes are are. Um, really compelling I really um, enjoyed writing that but every time I see them I think about the plot hole (laughs) I I feel you every every time the only the only every time I think about writing a Harry Potter or Sentinel story Sentinel story I I think about that plot that world it's a world building plot hole and a a world hole (laughs) it's a world hole it's it's we need Linnea um, to come destroy it for us. That's how big it is. Yeah. And I... Um, That's a Stargate reference. If you don't get it, you don't deserve to. <laughs> I... I The only time I plotted a story that I even remotely thought about was exactly what I mentioned earlier, is that Dumbledore arrogantly thought that he could um, get it by Muggle Sentinels, and he couldn't. Um, and they got Harry out of there. Actually, because Harry, Harry's spirit animal, um, Harry came online almost immediately in that little cupboard, and his spirit animal went trotting right down to the Sentinel Guide Center, stamped its little it unicorn did. up, and was like, "We got issues." And that was, and, and, and I had it be a magical spirit animal. In my plot document was that this unicorn, and I decided it was a unicorn. Have you read? Have you written this? No, I just read the plot document for it. <clears throat> But this little unicorn, very little unicorn, shows up at the Sentinel Guide Center stomping its foot. Um, and they're like, is that a unicorn? <laughs> that looks like a unicorn. <laughs> do we have those? <laughs> Anybody else feel cock teeth? Because I do. <laughs> I want to see a tiny little unicorn spirit animal. Thank you. <laughs> is Harry my unicorn in Harry Potter? Um 
I'm not sure I have a unicorn in Harry Potter, really. It might be Hedwig. Hedwig might be, might be my unicorn. Um, I thought that Harry was my unicorn until recently, and then I realized that probably all along that my unicorn was Hermione. Yeah. Um, I do love fixing Harry's life, uh, his childhood. So that is a, that is a, a plot unicorn, I guess. Um, I can't imagine writing a story where things don't get better for him dramatically at some point, um, where he's still fairly young. Except I, did, I guess I did that one where he starts. It doesn't start getting better for him until he's fourteen. But yeah. I'm on board with the unicorn. I, I'm 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 110 percent on board with the unicorn. I do like curious myself. I do. I actually I actually did art for a little teeny a little a little you know like I took a a, a white colt and I actually put a unicorn on it. I did like a photo manipulation so I could make a little tiny tiny baby unicorn of my own. That's how into that idea I was at that time, but then I went with a different. But the thing is, I think I plotted this when we did the last little black dress challenge. This was, so this was almost two years ago. Um, but I didn't do it for that challenge because I can't. I I I can't write Harry Potter it, it, with word economy. Fuck that. <laughs> Every time I try, I, it blows yeah. up in my face. Every time I try, it's like ah ha ha. What were you thinking? I did accomplish it. It was um, 10 years after the war. I felt like I was in the range. Maybe I didn't quite get it. I think I went over. But it wasn't like 100K. So that's uh, that's an improvement. That That's progress. Yes. That's progress. <laughs> I think the first time I shot for 10K with a Harry Potter story, I did 25. Um, and going over by 150%. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I plotted, I thought I had a, I did, I did. Okay, I had a 50k plot for this for April for this month. I had a 50k plot, um, and I went to do the first big time skip, and I went, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I I did it by taking the plot and putting in a bunch of time skips, and then addressing. And I'm gonna have time skips anyway, but the time skips were gonna be years instead of months. And and then just addressing what had happened in those years in some fashion in the narrative, and I I just I started writing the first scene of that time skip, and I went, this doesn't work. No, oh well, so much for that. Hundred eighty k, here we go. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you think you can turn Tom Riddle into a good person in fifty k, you're wrong. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. It does. It he does take a lot of work. Lord of our time. <laughs> he was the darkest lord of our time. So, what a bizarre fascination for school. Yeah, but at least he had a lot of respect for Harry's educational goals. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, in my he in my prologue, education was important. 
in the prologue for my story, I had been planning to address a little bit more about how he was, Tom Riddle was devolving life over life over life and how he had gone from having sort of a plan at first to just being fixated on a school, you know, by the last life, because the last life is the one, you know, from Canon, the one that mm-hmm. is one Severus remembers is all the other lives where I alluded to very bizarre deaths for Severus. You know, he, he gets to forget about all that stuff. Um, but Riddle had more of a plan at first, and I planned to put that in there, but my initial, my initial estimate for my prologue was going to be about 2,000, 2,500 words, and it gets to like 5,000 words, and I was like, ugh, I got to start practicing some word economy at some point. <laughs> I'm just going to have to cut a couple of scenes here that do not need to be here. Although maybe when I'm writing Harry Potter, yeah, I should just give in and go, fuck it. It's going to be long. <laughs> just it's going to be long. It's going to be worse. Give in to the inevitable. Like That's right. Just give in. I don't know, but that also, you know, one of the reasons why I keep striving for it is because there's something very satisfying about creating a short story that's tight and concise and your work economics are on point, and you're like, yeah, look at that shit. <laughs> Look what I did. Oh. <laughs> you know? Because one of the reasons why I'm super proud of um, uh, No Enemy Within is because it is tight as fuck. And the story is huge, and it feels big, but and it's like, but it is tight. It is tight. It's very tight. It feels like a much longer story than it is. Yeah, small magic is is not so small. It's it's 130k right now, um, and I haven't even gotten to the battle of the five fucking armies yet. <laughs> but, and but I that's get feels, most of that's the damn quest. And that still feels tight. I don't know what to tell you. I agree with Lady Holder. It feels tight. No, I don't want no damn carrots. <laughs> oh, Fritos! Thank you very much. <laughs> Frito killer. <laughs> I do um I do not eat purple carrots. There's something wrong with purple carrots. It could be just that they're purple. I, I have issues. It probably is just that they're purple. Well, you won't be getting them at my house because there is a Frito-free zone over here. She killed all the Fritos in her house. I did. I'm on a diet. Sacrifices must be made. It's really annoying. I'm going to tell you guys. I put myself on a diet, um, and I do most of the cooking. Um, and um, my husband has lost 10 pounds. All that carb cutting. 
Meanwhile, I've lost seven or eight, but he lost 10 pounds like it was nothing. He's not calorie counting. I'm calorie counting. All I did was stop buying him junk food. It's really, men are so, men are so fucking annoying. Men. That's what it takes for men. some people, though, is that they just stop eating their junk. That sounded yeah. terrible. <laughs> 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 After uh, you I can do that, have... you should keep doing it. Uh, yeah, because that's a skill you don't want to like um go to waste. Um, yeah. Uh, damn, I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, uh, is there anybody in here who's actually really familiar with Teen Wolf Cannon? I'm looking at the list of people in the room. Well, I got a couple people in the room I know watch it, know write it, but I don't know how well they know it. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> there are the big nopes. I've done quite a bit of research, but the only person I know who knows canon really well is uh, um, one of the minions. Okay, so there's a there, there's a um, okay. So there's one person if, who knows it. Is Styles? Is it fan in their canon that Styles is kind of obsessed with his father's food and eating well? That's my question. Um, because I have been writing this this female Styles story, um, and I I think that my current food issue is is sneaking into her character and I'm not sure if that's a fanon thing or a canon thing or so so it is canon that he's pretty food obsessed okay so Nani says Nani and Kamara say it's canon um because he had a heart issue pre-show I think pre-series I think and he um um his doctor told him he had his cholesterol down and Styles all over that. John should never have admitted that. Not John. Okay, I know his name is Noah. Noah should never have admitted that to Styles. No, probably not. I have named him Noah in my story, but I have to tell you, every once in a while, I have to do a search and replace to make sure I haven't used John. Barely read like I don't. I probably read ten stories in the Team Wolf fandom. And this is terrible that I'm actually writing Team Wolf. But the thing is, is I destroyed the canon events. So um, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, Teen Wolf, you know, it's like Teen Wolf is one of those shows that is so inconsistent with itself that it's it's one of those I find. But even that, even that, there are some events that are fundamental in terms of the order in which they occurred. You know, like yeah, um, Styles becomes um, possessed by the Nagitsune, um when they do that whole. Um, sacrificing themselves to figure out where their parents are when the Duroc has them. So there's some events. I mean, there are some events that are part of the critical canon path. Now in Teen Wolf, that is pretty minor. What I would consider um, the critical path of canon. But you can't just make the Nagitsune happen before the Duroc, since those two events. The, have a have a dependency 
Let me tell you what I did. <laughs> did you do that? I don't even know what you're talking about. That's how bad my knowledge of Team Wolf Cannon is. Let me tell you what I've done hypocritically treating Team Wolf like my bitch and not treating her like a lady. Um, Peter doesn't wake up until the kids are actually in their 20s. He lures Laura back to Beacon Hills, kills her for her alpha power, then start, then bites Scott, recruits his friend to be bitten to increase his alpha's power. And all along, Deaton is kind of corrupting them, corrupting Peter, corrupting Scott, um, and... Derek comes back to Beacon Hills, and he's and they're all the same age. I made them all the same age just to get rid of um, age issues because I'm just I don't care. Um, and they kidnap Magda because Deaton's going to take her her power, and Magda is my female Styles. And uh, Derek and Magda end up um, sacrificing themselves on the Nimaton, ever how you say it, um, and because she was trained by Sally Owens. Uh, she has a little bit of extra going on that she wasn't really aware of, and Derek isn't as focused on the, yes, practical magic, isn't as focused on the ritual as he should be, and he makes a wish, and the Nimiton grants it, and they get sent back in time to the day before their first day of freshman year. But before he went back in time, Derek killed four of the betas and Peter. So he went back in time as an alpha. And it's going to wake up in him. So that's what I did. And now Magda and Derek are in high school and all their friends are idiots. And Oh, now Derek gets you the Teen Wolf. <laughs> Derek's the Teen Wolf, yes. So that's what I did. I regret nothing. But she also managed to save her mother's life because um, Deaton killed Claudia by poisoning the Nimiton because Claudia and the Nimiton were connected. Which is a nod to Jilly doing what she did. <laughs> <laughs> Making Claudia actually a tree. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's like a, um, yeah. And... I have no respect for any of it. I'm like, okay, right. So, but there are some fundamental things that I kept, like the alpha power and um, uh, the spark. And it's just, um, I'm just gonna kick that fandom in the nuts. Is what it boils down to. Uh, so, they do have their memories. Um, Derek is, is twenty twenty five, almost 26, in a 15-year-old body. And um, it is set in California. And so they're um, – the thing is, is that in in the original verse, Magda and Derek were like oil and water. 
So all their friends, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> and now their friends have to adjust to the fact that over the summer, between the 8th grade and ninth grade, Magda went from wanting to disembowel Derek to dating him. <laughs> So yeah, so it's a whole new thing, and um, I've uh, uh, Kate's on death row in um, <laughs> Florida. I'm like fuck that shit. <sighs> Sugar is not good for a headache. Um, headache is usually um, inflammation. But you can have headaches if you're hypoglycemic. So if if, right. if you have if you have low blood sugar and you have a headache, yes, you might need to. But I wouldn't have straight sugar. I'd go have some juice or something. Honestly, if I have a headache and I don't have any painkillers, my first stop is the coffee pot. Word. Caffeine. Caffeine. Oh, that kind of headache. Um, that you probably need some Advil. Yeah. That's, Hook yourself that's, up. That's stress that's stress and probably blood pressure have your have some advil and some water yeah lots of water but um yeah so i just i just do can it out but i did keep fundamental parts and there's things coming like gerard um and the alpha pack um will eventually um instead of like situation happens it's not going to happen near the end when the alpha pack is already formed but in the beginning when the alpha pack is starting to rise because it's going to become really well known that um derek um transitioned into an alpha as a teenager while his mother was still the alpha of their pack so he's going to they're going to think he's a true alpha yes he is a true werewolf, werewolf, werewolf Jesus. I, I don't know what to do with that. I know. I'm really amusing myself. And so, wouldn't he be an, an, a, a target for the um, whatever his name is, the Alpha Pack leader? Ducalion? Yeah. I actually have no idea how to pronounce his name. But yes, he would be. And because I cannot stand the idea of of child abuse happening in my world. Um, I had the sheriff rescue Isaac. <laughs> right. That is a good fix it. Magda moved him right in. <laughs> Put him in the guest room. <laughs> Instant Instant brother. She's a hundred and ten percent on board. But yeah, so I was just like, I can't I can't let that situation go, so I have to do that right now. I have to do, do, do. <laughs> hmm. Some things you do have to just fix right away. Like I can't let that stay. I would have a really hard time. Um I've read it and been okay with it. 
as a reader, but this is, again, we, we have those lines where we're okay with things as a reader, we're not okay with as a writer. I've read fix-it stories where there's, like, time travel involved where they left Sirius in prison because getting Sirius out of prison would have, like, derailed their plan or whatever. I, I couldn't read that. I can't read it. I couldn't do it. I could not let him languish in Azkaban knowing he didn't deserve to be there. No, it's difficult. No, no. I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, I would have to. I'd have to figure out how to make it viable to get him out. Um, I just. I just think that I would not entertain a plot that didn't allow me to rescue him. Um, so, but I mean, I think that I've read it and enjoyed it, and read stories where there was reason why um, they weren't able to get serious out of Azkaban and it, in a time travel story I've read it and been fine with it but you know my threshold as a writer is way different so I am um, um, Edie asked a question in the chat room I want to address um, where in the RT workshop would be the best place to ask for a particular type of thick wreck or where I could um, okay. uh, you could go to the reader's outpost and um, post in the garden I think that's the best place to talk about fan fiction on the forum either asking for or talking about the things that you like. So. I think rescuing Sirius is um kind of like the shopping trip for me. Yeah. You just got to do it. Now, if I ever wrote a story with Harry being rescued, he's going to get a shopping trip, but it, it probably isn't going to be very much on the screen. It's going to be mentioned that they went shopping. <laughs> Harry's going to get his trip, but I'm just not going to have it on the screen. There's going to be shopping and socks. <laughs> there will be socks, have to wear not... There won't be we wearing Dudley's crappy socks. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to list the number of pairs of socks he got, folks. I'm just not going to do it. It's a funny thing. This is I've mentioned I've mentioned before that I can be very literal. <laughs> so if you write out that Harry got five pairs of black pants, one gray and one brown, and then he's wearing a pair of green pants, I am going to notice I, that he didn't he didn't get a pair of green pants. Okay? When did he buy the I'm green pants? I'm going to notice that shit. <laughs> like when right when did he buy the green pants? I mean you listed everything he bought right down to how many pair of pants you know how many pair of of socks and underpants that poor kid got, and I really didn't want to get that into his drawers. But if you're going to list it, you got it. You're you're limiting yourself. It's just say he got a full wardrobe. Then whenever he needs dress robes, he's already got them. You don't have to deal with the fact that you didn't put in that he bought dress robes. The right detail is good. The wrong detail. Boring, <laughs> a and frustrating. And B, it it sets you up for going shit. I forgot to mention that you know he's got dragon hide boots. Well, okay, you could have saved yourself like six or seven hundred words at least um, by just saying he went shopping and got a full wardrobe, <laughs> including <Ooh>. boots. <laughs> Covered for literally everything he needs because he got a full wardrobe. 
You can even throw a lampshade over it and go, he was so glad that in his shopping spree back in, in uh, July that he thought to get 50 extra quills. There you go. He was so enamored of feathers. He bought all those quills. But when you lift everything, you're stuck with it. Because I will notice. <laughs> I won't call you on it, but I'll notice. And then I'll be double birding you. And talking about you in the <laughs> Did you see and, this? And talking about you on the podcast. <laughs> there were no green pants purchased. Harry did not have her robes. Harry has no dress robes. I remember that shopping trip. (laughs) Or worse, you put his schedule in the thick, and then you don't follow the fucking schedule. I'm going to notice. That's right. Look, if he has Defense Against the Dark Arts on Monday, first period, he better fucking be in that room on Monday, first period. (laughs) (laughs) He ends up in charms. We're going to talk. About you, <laughs> I have I have been known actually when somebody bothered. I actually hate the class schedule being in the show in the story, but if it's there, I'm going to copy it out to a file, and um, I can then track. I'm assuming. I mean, my assumption is the author provided that so I can track the what part of the week they're in. I assume so. <laughs> You know, if I'm I'm befuddled about where they are and what time of day it is, I'm going to go consult that schedule that you so handily provided. <laughs> and it better fucking match up. That's right. I'm just saying. And if they, and if they go from double potions to lunch, when double potions occurs in the afternoon, you're in trouble, Ooh. buddy. You are in trouble. Just. <laughs> <laughs> It annoys the shit out of me. I do create schedules when when Harry's in school. I don't share them in my um, narrative because that's just for me. It's a um, a tool I use to keep track of where he is um, during his day and uh, during the week. That's just one of my tools that I use as a writer. But I don't put it in the story because then I'll have some asshole that, you know... (laughs) You had double potions on Tuesday, but for some reason he was a double potions on Friday, and Harry isn't even taking potions. <laughs> you know, Harry doesn't take that glass. <sighs> he does in my story. Canon timeline for Harry Potter um, that I built in Excel um, with generalities so that I can. Um, use or abuse it at my at my leisure. Uh just so I know what should be happening versus what I'm going to make happen. Um you can't break the rules until you know the rules kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of comes back to that question about, you know, that somebody asked how much can do you have to know? It's not like you need to have memorized everything, right? There's so much, and this is the age of the internet, folks. There's so much reference material out there that you don't have to remember. You don't have to know it. You can find it, though. And a little bit of research never hurt anybody, especially about something that is so easy to find. It's so easy to find the basic timeline of events, and then you can kind of, you know, between those events, you you know, shimmy them how you need to. And even, even, you know, if you want to say that canon says that something happened on a specific day, but you want to move it, 
unless there's a reason why it has to be that day. It, it, like I was going to say, they say it happened on um, March 4th. Well, okay, so if you want to make it happen on March 5th, it probably doesn't matter. But if they say something happened on Halloween, you can't just change that to being October 15th. Again, you can, but it would suck. It would suck, you especially stop? because there, there are events that happen in the Wizarding World around certain dates, right? And Halloween is a date where there are celebrations at Hogwarts and and, and in theory, you know, there's there's Samhain, there's all this stuff that's happening. Um, and when you move that event to being a different day of the month, well, what did you do with all the other stuff that happened on that day? So it gets a little, be a little bit weird because something, some things are very entrenched. Like you can't just change the day that spring happens. You can't say that, the, you know, the solstices and the equinoxes are on different days than they are. They are what they are. The full moon, uh, I have to admit, I do have a pet peeve around random full moons. You can forget that it's a full moon, but it's pretty easy to figure out when the full moon occurred. So, you know, and if I'm reading a story where there's like three full moons in a month, it's like, how many full moons is he going to have in the last month of school? And true, hey, in true fact, um, Old calendars, which you can look up on the internet, that thing you're currently using to listen to this podcast, um, they have the full moon listed. Mm-hmm. I'm list- I'm gave a link to one I have open right now since I'm currently working in 1922 in my story. I, of course, have the 1922 calendar up so that I don't have them having meetings at the ministry on a Sunday. I find that both handy and amusing at the same time. Because I would do the same thing. You know, this crazy person did. I asked her. I said, hey, Jilly, you don't happen to know how many <laughs> comments there were on Rough Trade before April 1st. A few seconds passed. I did. And then I get a screenshot of an Excel database she's keeping on the number of comments that are in Rough Trade. <laughs> I can't explain my level of weird. <laughs> you don't gotta. Though we have had just about 2,000 um, new comments since April 1st. Some of you are doing really well. Most, most, yeah. Some of you are going to get nasty emails if you keep it up. <laughs> we do have a couple couple of people who are carefully couching their advice as as praise. Um, <laughs> I can spot advice couched as praise at a hundred paces and I you know and I have a really bad astigmatism so <laughs> don't <laughs> we don't care about I, your I, hopes, your dreams or your expectations. Yeah, or like, it's so delightful that you took this divergence from canon where, you know, this thing occurred in canon, but in your story, you have it happening differently. And it's like, oh, mm, canon Thank you for your fansplaining. I really appreciate it. That's right. And oddly, fansplaining is twice as annoying as mansplaining. <laughs> Who knew? 
<laughs> Who knew it was possible? It would actually be worse if it was a male fan. Just saying. I agree. Fans playing and mansplaining together—that's like I don't know. Like, like that, that time be... that man told me that I um, wrote that my uh, her, her Hermione's reactions to the situation um, weren't realistic for a sixteen-year-old girl. And I'm like, are, are you fucking kidding me? When when did you experience when being you... a sixteen-year-old girl? Yeah, when were you a sixteen-year-old girl, dude? I put up a also... definition on the Daily Thing on. Facebook. Yeah. The um, the other thing that we can spot from a, a, a thousand paces is a true rhetorical question. Um, just because I you don't use shit, a question wow. mark, I did, yeah, but it's not always. Yeah, just, yeah. Be, just because you don't use a question mark does not mean your question is rhetorical. Um, and just because you don't expect an answer doesn't mean your question is rhetorical. Because I can't read your intention. Obvious rhetorical questions are things like, what's the meaning of life? Like, literally, nobody's going to be able to answer that, you know? Um, Some people, um, some questions are obviously rhetorical. Um, Like, I wonder if Ron's ever going to get his head out of his ass. Um, We don't need an answer to that. There is no answer for that. The answer is obvious. So, rhetorical. Um, but for those of you who haven't, there's, there is no great artificial intelligence running behind the scenes of WordPress that lets us know what is a real question and what is not. Magically, um, the way it identifies a question and trashes it is because of the almighty question mark. So people have figured out, of course, with it, I thought that it was, like patently obvious that how it determined what a question was and put it in the trash was the question mark, but whatever. So people have gone, Oh, it, it, it spotted, it took, it, it, it identified my rhetorical question as a, as a, as a, as a real question because I used a question mark. So I'm going to take the question mark off and repost my question. Nope. Because it still wasn't a rhetorical question. <laughs> it really wasn't. I really can spot those. Kira can really spot those. So can Lady Holder and, and Azra. Everybody who approves comments, we, we can tell what a rhetorical question is. We see you. And if, it's, and if it's a question that the author could answer if they stopped and answered it, the question is not rhetorical. So quit it. Because they're not going to stop what they're doing and answer questions. And I know people have questions. I was talking to a friend um, who was very carefully trying not to ask me a question. And <laughs> she tells me, me that she... Because I asked questions. It wasn't... It, <laughs> she, she was... I was... She was telling me she really enjoyed the story. And um, I said, okay. And, and there was something she said. I said, you know, whatever it is, just spit it out. We're buds. You know, behind the scenes, you can ask me whatever it is. She goes, well, I just find it really confusing how Severus went back in time. I said, I really thought that was really clear. I mean, Lady Magic cast the spell, and he agreed to it. And, I mean, I didn't show the exact mechanics of the magic, but – and she said, what are you talking about? I said, did you read the prologue? What prologue? I'm like, 
Okay. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> you might want to go back and read some more because I think you skipped something. You skipped, you skipped, you know, a third of the story so far. So go read the prologue. Actually, at that point, there was no Sheila read chapter one because chapter two didn't exist, which was why my, my author note for chapter two was if you haven't read the prologue, you should. Um, yeah. It was because somebody hadn't read the prologue. So that talked to me. Um, so, it, I mean, that's somebody who's righteously confused and was trying really hard not to ask a question. So, if they can, if they can, if they can endure not asking me what the fuck is going on, you probably can. I am um, speaking of um, the this treating. In terms of the topic of of the podcast about canon, um, I had a moment where, was it two days ago or three? I don't remember exactly what day it was. When I realized that I was kind of smack dab in the events, or not quite yet, but soon to be smack dab in the events that occurred timeline-wise in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I have not read I have not seen the movie. Um, I have not, and I honestly didn't have any interest in it. Uh, it, it just didn't appeal. Um, as I, as information has been added to the wikis and Pottermore and stuff that accounts for information in Fantastic Beasts, I have, um, I've taken that on board in when I'm doing research and stuff and building timelines and character profiles and stuff. But I had this moment of realizing that there were events in fantastic beasts and where to find them that were, could impact McCannon perspective, what I am doing. And I had this frozen moment of feeling like I need to go read that book and not wanting to. And my hand wave is exactly what, Claire did is I'm just pretending like I'm just basically saying and I'll put this up at some point that I'm not familiar with the events and that I'm not going to get familiar with the events and so you know anything that's inconsistent is because of that uh so I don't know that's that might be like am I am I am I being a hypocrite I you know um by hand waving away matter, that entire. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, it. You, because of the time difference between them, you can almost treat them like separate universes. Um, and for the most part, the only character, the only two characters in fantastic beasts and where to find them that are relevant to your plot are Dumbledore and Grindelwald that right. I'm aware of. I'm actually in her plot documents. So I don't know that for certain. Um, and you already know um, their actions and how they impact your plot based on Harry Potter canon. The specific events of fantastic beasts and where to find them isn't important to the storytelling that you that you're doing. 
No, and I think I'm not sure because, about that because Grind- well, the Grindelwald shenanigans. Go ahead. It changes ripple. Right. You're already rippling the timeline, and what you've done and what you've posted has already dramatically changed the landscape in Britain. In Britain, yes, yes. Uh, but the thing is, is that those events in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them because of, of Grindelwald. Now, I think one of the things that should be patently clear in what I've done is that Britain is going to be significantly less vulnerable to the influence of dark wizards. Um, not And not I mean dark magic, but dark lords. Grindelwald's um, not going to find a lot of um, foothold foothold in Britain he won't because that's that's the ripple effect of um, what of of the changes that I've made um, so far <clears throat> so um, the the the, stu- the the events that happened in in 1926 1927ish in America um that sort of sort of started increasing the tensions, the Muggle wizard tensions, and all that kind of stuff. And as as they talk about it in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, it sort of set Grindelwald more on his path, and um, was sort of like the precursor to the Global Wizarding War, which sort of hit its peak during World War II. Um, that stuff going on in America is still going to happen. That's still that's still going to happen. Grindelwald's actions in America will still occur, but the hard part for me was hitting that point of not knowing because I've, I've changed things so much is I, I think I can get away with just going, okay. What he's doing isn't going to affect Britain all that much. And I don't particularly need to refresh know what my memory about the timeline. When does he go to us? Grindelwald? I don't know exactly when he went to the U.S., but uh, Newt Scamander, um, Scamander, I don't know how you pronounce his name, he went to the U.S., I think, in the same year Tom Riddle was born. I think it was 1926, 1927 time frame. And one of his little creatures got loose, and um, they thought that these problems that were occurring in in the face of muggles was, um, was, was, was Newt's fault. And Grindelwald masquerading as an or United States or a U.S. or of some, some sort um, was trying to to catch whatever it was that um, um, had gotten loose. So Grindelwald was basically wearing somebody else's face and masquerading as this U.S. or and um, trying to. It, find sources of power. So that was around, they say winter of 1926, but are we talking winter Winter being December of 1926 or January of 1926? And I currently think in your timeline, it is... I'm in 1922. So I'm, I'm okay. four years prior, but Tom Riddle is born in 19, in January 31st, 1926. Not December 31st, 1926 is, is, when, is when Tom Riddle's born. So that's obviously a key milestone, and that is when the shenanigans in the U.S. kind of begin happening. Okay, so your assumption is is that in the face of all this upheaval in Britain, that both Anne Grindelwald would both choose to leave. 
you're doing an immense amount uh, of wavy things. I mean, you're, you're rippling out. You've got um, all these people claiming their magic, submitting to magic. Um, how is Dumbledore going to respond to this submission um, of, of family magic? Yeah, Dumbledore's coming up soon. Um, he's How is he going to respond in- to Grindelwald? Yeah, Grindelwald, I think, would still go to America. I Actually, you, you raised an interesting question. I don't know that Newt would. Um, I'll have to think that through a little bit more. Because um, it, it boils down to the, the chaos effect. Because the changes you make could kill Grindelwald or Newt. Right. I think Grindelwald will still be in America. I think that he would still, because he's still trying to do whatever planning for a muggle domination thing. I think he's still off on that mission. Um, He's looking for an obscurus, isn't he? Yes. And he is, um, and it's in America. There is one there. Um, So he is still doing his shenanigans. I think that would still happen. I just don't think that when he comes back, he's going to find the foothold in Britain that what he would have found. I do think he would still leverage um, the the tensions, the worldwide tensions around that are building the lead into World War Two, and still yes. attempt to build his because he's going to make more progress in other countries, um, even if he doesn't get a lot of help in doesn't get a lot of followers in Britain because I don't know that he ever had a lot of followers in Britain. Grindelwald was seen as kind of more of an enemy. Um, it's a, I, that's one of the things I've been having a little bit difficult time figuring out is if how many of the pureblood families even followed Grindelwald. So, but none of them will now if any of them did. So it does have a pretty big ripple effect in terms of his power base. And so he's going to die differently of necessity because his power base is different. Um, I'll give a big spoiler here, folks. If you don't want to know how Grindelwald <laughs> dies, plug your ears for about a minute. Um, is it, Tom Riddle's ancestry becomes, his name won't be Tom Riddle, his name's Thomas Prince. Tom Prince. Thomas Prince's ancestry becomes revealed and Grindelwald specifically tries to recruit him when he's, Tom's fairly young. He's 14 or 15 when Grindelwald tries to recruit him, I think 14, and puts him in danger. And Severus is furious and goes after Grindelwald and kills him. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Yay, I'm excited. (laughs) That's like, because the whole parental thing really does, does, does kick in for Severus. He really does become a parent. And that's part of his journey. And so the first big threat to his child is that moment. And he, he gets on and he deals with it, not because, he, not because of any kind of intent to um, – um, not because not, he's not trying to, to sabotage Dumbledore's future or anything like that. That's not even an issue. He goes to tell Grindelwald, you stay the fuck away from my son. And they wind up dueling, and Severus kills him. There's no going sending him off to um, lifetime in prison. He just kills him. Justifiable homicide for the win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is what we're talking about, um, that 
this kind of um, action is going to have severe consequences, not just for Severus Prince, but for Dumbledore and for Great Britain um, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly here is this man from a traditionally gray family. Mm-hmm. And he's the leader of the light. <laughs> Boy, somebody said that to Severus at some point, and you're like, what? That's I don't think so. I don't think so. You are but, out to lunch. But that's implication that he's he's um, going to get a lot of the reputation and uh, um, that Dumbledore earned. Yeah, he is. Except unlike Dumbledore, he's not going to be interested in it. Um, which is going to cause problems in and of itself. Because I can see Dumbledore being, being very leader. jealous or even, you know, um, potentially, because um, Dumbledore couldn't kill Grindelwald because he was in love with him. I can see Dumbledore um, seeing Prince as a an enemy. Yeah, once yeah, once that happens, he will. Because he's going to be angry. Even if he doesn't want to admit why he's angry, he's going to be angry. Because if Dumbledore couldn't kill Grindelwald, so he's not going to want anybody else to do it. It is fun. It, it, I have to admit, it is a lot of fun to completely unwind canon. Um, but I still have canon to deal with because canon players are still on the board. Dumbledore is still on the board. Arcturus Black is still around. Um, you know, um, Dumbledore is only, I think, he's like, uh, seven or eight years older than Severus. Okay, they're they're basically contemporaries, which kind of freaked me out when I realized that. Um, I think he's seven years older. I think Dumbledore, if on my timeline, Dumbledore's um, last year of Hogwarts was the year before Severus started school, so I think he's seven years older. Um, but. These players, even though canon is unwound, these players with their motivations and their past and their history are all still, they're all still on the chessboard. And they aren't, with, with different, um, with different, you know, different impetus for action, they are going to behave differently. Um, and so I still have that, I still have to kind of, I have to deal with canon in that sense. And then they're figuring out, well, who isn't going to exist? Because, you know, there are some key players who won't exist. So that's not, well, not key, but key and canon um, that won't. Um, no, Ron will not exist, but actually Molly and Arthur don't get married in this universe. So, um, yeah, that's going to be... That's fascinating. I just, I just, I just sort of, I wiped out a lot of Weasley. <laughs> that's fascinating. I, you know, I was like, yeah, that's that's startling. I, I, I find that interesting. 
very interesting. Because I and because I can't get away because I, it is one of my favorite tropes too. Is soulmate magic will come in to play, um, and um, basically one of Slytherin's descendants got kind of pissed off at the way certain things were happening, and basically locked the orb or whatever the thing is that Merlin created that reveals whose people's soulmates are. He basically locked it in his vault. Um, because he was in a snit. <laughs> and man tantrum. So he had a mantrum. Mantrum. And he and so um Thomas gets it out. Um and they decide that they need to, you know, let the world have soulmates again. So basically anyone who existed in canon as a result of um who whose parents were soulmates um will exist because the the conceivably there's a couple of variables, but they're conceivably. Um, and so there are people who came together who were soulmates um, in, in the way I, I put things together. And so they're, you know, they will still come together because now they'll know they're soulmates. And so they'll still have the same child basically, which is how Harry will come out as being having the exact same parents is because Lily and James are soulmates. Your idea is so huge. It is. It, I, I know. So you thought, I thought, I thought I could tell us in 50K. <laughs> You're so crazy. You hear her? I know. 50K? How? I'm going to do Aren't some big time jumps. Like <laughs> Aren't you almost like at 30 and Tom isn't even born yet? Uh, right. I'm, I'm at 15 right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm on paper. I'll, it'll be close to 30 before Tom is born. Wow. You're so crazy. <laughs> Who am I no. Because I said, I'll talk 10 no. chapters. There'll be 3K each. I am on chapter 3 and at 15K already. Right. <laughs> Word economics and Harry Potter do not go hand in hand. And I'm just writing kinky sex. I'm not even trying to do any kind of major plot. I'm just trying to maneuver to my characters in the same spot so they can, you know, Get on with the spanking. It's not too much to ask. But it's a nice journey as they're, it's very entertaining as they're working towards the spanking that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> right? She's earned that shit. She has, and he's been promising it. Lady Holder <laughs> says that I missed the zero, that it's 500K. <laughs> See, if I told the whole story, if I told the whole, whole, whole story, um, it might be. It might be. I think I'm going to end up between um, probably around 45k. Actually, I because um, I don't have any subplots. It's just um, going to be sexy times and kink negotiation and more sexy times and maybe a little emotional fallout and sexy times and then happily ever after because I'm not I'm not writing anything else obviously let's not get crazy yeah we can't get crazy we can't, we can't do that I 
I actually did not want to embark on another epic, but this was the idea that I felt that I was the most interested in writing. And, um, and so, yeah, if you don't want to write an epic, quick epic idea. <laughs> well, I think you should always write what interests you. Um, because mm-hmm. that makes for the most entertaining story. Um, otherwise, you know, you get bored and you're like, fuck it, rocks fall, everybody dies at the end. <laughs> I'm moving everybody to Mars. <laughs> shit happened. Yeah, shit happened. <laughs> shit happened here. Move on to the next scene. <laughs> shit got real and then rocks fell. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, but Harry Potter is a challenge, and I did want to. I did want to do. Uh, Claire pointed out if I don't want to write an epic hysteria from Harry Potter because it lends itself to that, which I completely agree. I have never come up with a Harry Potter idea that was short. Um, but it was a challenge, and I did have. A, I did have a, some shorter ideas that were weirder um, than this one. So that's hilarious. Ran around that. <laughs> Wait, how much time we got? That. We got ten minutes. Tell me one. <laughs> I don't know. Do you really want? Uh, you might be horrified. You might be horrified. Um, well, you've already made Hermione and Draco related. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, they, they, no. <laughs> they were. I, <laughs> I didn't make them siblings. Um. Small favor. Okay. So you're going to be horrified. You're going to be horrified. Um, so the, the, the shorter, one of the shorter ideas that was weirder was that, okay, so Voldemort decides he wants an heir, and he's going to create a ritual baby, and he decides that Draco is going to be his ritual partner in this. And so Draco decides that, you know, I'm leaving the country, um, except that then – he's doing some research with his mother and they realize that the ritual that would produce the most powerful child, the one Voldemort wants to use, leaves his, his magic um, basically vulnerable to the other participant in the ritual. So he agrees to go ahead and go forward with his ritual to produce a little, like, I don't know, baby in a bubble. And, um, so, and then during the ritual, basically Draco, um, Kills kills Voldemort. He uses the opportunity to destroy his magic and kill him. Except that then he's left with a baby. <laughs> he's left That's with a baby. Half Voldemort. A baby. That's a little half Voldemort baby. Um, and so the baby finishes. He takes the, the little the little baby bubble to the bank and they purge it of any like negative magic as it's developing. But he's still left for the baby. Um, and um. Anyway, the end, the end of the idea is that ultimately Harry and Hermione move to the U.S. and raise half Baldy <laughs> after it goes. Uh, it sounds like crap, with, but it really wasn't plotted that way. With Draco or without Draco? Without. Without. He doesn't really want anything to do with it. Um, he feels very ambivalent about the whole thing, and he didn't expect that the ritual would actually be successful. Um, and that actually the ritual um, 
backlash of like Voldemort's magic, the whole thing created this very powerful child. Um, and he, uh, he just, he's a little bit overwhelmed and um, he can't even admit the kid exists because he's afraid of what will happen to it. Um, but he's very much in the public eye because he, he killed, killed Voldemort. Voldemort. Right. Um, and so he's hiding the kid and he eventually talks to Harry about it and Harry and Hermione <clears throat> decide to go, decide to adopt the baby, um, but leave the country. And, uh, I hadn't decided if Draco, um, eventually left too, but, uh, that was sort of an, I kind of stopped the kind of plotting phase on that. Um, like I said, it was a weirder idea. I'm not idea. horrified. What, what, I'm not horrified. I think that my condition might be flabbergasted. <laughs> well, there you go. So, but I'm not horrified. I, it, I, I think a lot of people... fandom has kind of. Um, desensitize me is that kind of thing and like yeah yeah that's true it desensitized me too otherwise severus wouldn't be going back in time and raising voldemort <laughs> i can just imagine the weasleys in this situation what do you mean harry and hermione went to america and adopted a baby <laughs> <laughs> what baby what What the hell? Oh, he's a very <laughs> he's a very powerful baby. <laughs> yeah, so it was it it kind of it sounds a little cracky when I talk about it, but it, that wasn't the way. It actually, it probably actually the plot my plot document on that was kind of it kind of was emotionally bleak. I don't know what was going on in my head when I came up with that idea, but um, yeah. So so, but I was most interested. This idea, the whole idea with the Severus going back in time, the sort of redeemed Voldemort and Severus in the same story. Um, I came up with that idea a while ago, um, and when I and I actually didn't think I would want to write it on a rough trade. I didn't think that um, writing kind of that out of the box for me would be comfortable. But then I just kind of went, "This is the story I'm most interested in. Fuck it. I don't care if it's comfortable or not." Since when have I ever needed to be comfortable? <laughs> yeah, since when? I find the whole thing very curious. I'm, I, it's like, why do you always write horror baby stories? <laughs> 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 you know that one where um, Snape's baby got stolen? Nightmare. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was my first Harry Potter. Mm. What are you doing to these babies? <laughs> yeah, and then. Um, Meanwhile, I'm writing cute little baby stories. Oh look, there's a baby. Looks like you can't dark say stuff. Harry. <laughs> it's clear that I associate babies with happiness, and you don't. <laughs> 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 well, did you have a bad flight with one once or something? <laughs> uh, I did. I put no. three surprise babies in um in small magic, and I don't even care. 
nothing wrong with a surprise baby. It's like, hey, there's going to be a baby. Boom. And um, in Aaliyah Moto's babies are going to keep coming up because people are going to keep pointing out that Severus needs to have kids, and every time it happens, he's going to be like, what? No, I don't. I don't want children. <laughs> I've got a nephew, and then he's going to have a Thomas. He's like, I've got a kid now. I've adopted. Quit bringing up kids. You could have more children. <laughs> I don't want more children. I didn't want any children. No. <laughs> what I got. Lord <laughs> Fall of on. <laughs> I think it made me recall that. Um, I don't remember what story that was from. Where Harry can't keep track of Voldemort's name because it doesn't make sense. And he calls him <laughs> very strange things, trying to remember his name. Azure and I have opposite superpowers. I can make the crackiest ideas serious, and she can take the most serious ideas and make them crack. We have. We have. I don't know if that's complimentary. I don't know complimentary superpowers or what. But either way, we got you covered. Because I have, I have told plot ideas people before. They've gone, is this supposed to be crack? I'm like, no. no. <laughs> it's not crack. So people, I, the first time someone called something, I wrote crack. And I'm like, that's not crack. And she meant, she said, I meant like the drug. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm okay uh, with that. <laughs> you can be addicted. Sure, that's fine. <laughs> but I was really serious about that thing. <laughs> anyway, we're down to a minute. Um, Street Cannon gently. Oh She's a lady. Yeah, for real. But uh, it's just um, remember your consequences and pay your dues. I, that's just what it boils down to. Um, because it destroys the 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 believability in your story when when you don't pay attention to the details of your of your foundation. That's all it boils down to. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.